Carl, you're killing me. Yeah, so this is, I'll start out with a rant. I know that traditionally, um, in this time of year, September, October, this is when uh, you start drinking darker beers. It's, you know, the Martzens and you've got Oktoberfest, which right. is in September for some right. reason. Um, but, in, you know, and that makes sense because in Munich right now, it's like, you know, 57 degrees as the high. Okay, well... I'm in Texas right now, and it's been getting up to, I think yesterday got up to almost at 100, and today it's, you know, ninety mid-90s. Mm-hmm. Okay, this is not good weather for Oktoberfest beers. Um, it's not good weather for pumpkin beers, which are all out in force already. This is horrible so, weather okay, for that. So, so tell me what, what an Oktoberfest beer is. Because every time I think Oktoberfest, I think of a bunch of people trying to come up with their best pumpkin pie impression of a beer. Wait, you said Oktoberfest beer. Yeah, no. What are you talking about? Pumpkin beer or Oktoberfest? It's Oktoberfest beer. But uh, it, it's becoming this thing where fall, October co- happens at the same time. Pumpkins are the thing. Thanksgiving is coming up. What, what so, is your question? Are you talking about Oktoberfest or pumpkin beers? They're very different. I know. Just huh? tell, tell me what an Oktoberfest beer is. Oh, it's... Yeah, I don't know. Just a darker... It's a little, it's a little, little bit darker, a little maltier. They're usually pretty low-hopped. And has, isn't the the trend these days to incorporate some kind of pumpkin into it? No, not into Oktoberfest. Because I've seen, I've, I don't have names handy, but I've seen a few where they say Oktoberfest and it's like some pumpkin ale or something. I don't know. It's just... Shouldn't be. Wow. Well, yeah, an Oktoberfest. And there's there's six breweries that are technically allowed to have, or that are the official Oktoberfest brewery mm-hmm. uh, in, in Munich. It's like Hackershore, Polliner, Spotten, and three others I can't think of. Um but no, they're, they're, it's, it's very traditional. If it has pumpkin in it, it's not an Oktoberfest beer. They're basically, it's, I think it's a slight variation of a Martzen, which is a mm. you know, very similar style. I, I, can't, I couldn't tell them apart. Uh, all I know is this time of year sucks for me with beers because every, every craft brewer out there is trying to do some kind, like I said, their best impression of a pumpkin pie. I mean, it's, it's 90-something degrees. I'm still drinking you know, my Session IPAs and, and Hoppy Pilsners and stuff. I mean, I'm not, you know, in December and January, that's when I'll be ready for pumpkin beer and Oktoberfest. <laughs> hey, pumpkins. I'm sorry, I do. Hey, pumpkins. <clears throat> hey, pumpkin yeah, pie. You're just a, a fruitist. I hate eggnog, too. You're, you're bigoted against pumpkins. So I'm, I'm, I'm against this whole Wait, holiday season. You don't like pumpkins to... because what? Because they're big and round? Huh? <laughs> I don't like the taste of them. Actually, I, I don't mind pumpkin seeds when they're roasted. I like those. But I don't like pumpkin meat that gets turned into pies and stuff. It's hard to do pumpkin seeds well so that they're not real chewy and not yeah. raw but not burnt. And it's But if they're done right with some like the right seasoning on them or whatever, or even if maybe just salt, it, they are tasty. Yeah. <clears throat> well, uh, do we want to get... Do we have any uh, follow-up? Any business? Uh, yeah, we do. Okay. I'm not ready. Yeah. <laughs> um. So last last week, I, I kind of bitched and complained about um, you know our, this podcast not really growing, and it just does not have the numbers it should. And uh, I've I've some slight slightly good news to report now that you gave me access to our stats. Um, we did have an uptick, so I think people went out and kind of just uh, tweeted or something. I don't know. I haven't really scanned the the social media. Well, we did get an influx on Facebook likes and on our 
Facebook page, which I appreciate everyone doing that. And oh, I th- I th- that might have been uh, due to Peter. Is it Chittum? Maybe. Yeah. yeah. There's a. There's. A, but I mean, there's a lot of people who just went there and. He's, I think it was him that said he he shared our Facebook page to all of his, <laughs> fr- all of his Facebook friends. Which I'm, I'm <laughs> I apologize to all those people <laughs> that you got spammed with our <laughs> podcast. But hey, listen. <laughs> I do plan on at least investing a little more time in, in the Facebook page, at least making sure everything is set up correctly, because I think it went through a change and making that set up, making sure our Twitter feed is set up correctly. Um, there was a glitch in our posting from Squarespace. Whenever we post our episodes, it was actually going to my Facebook page instead of to the, the actual Good Day Sir page. So I might have to re- go in and repost some of the earlier episodes. I'm not sure. So you were spamming your Facebook friends. Yeah, with our podcast. Okay, great. They were getting some likes though on my page. <laughs> uh, but I, I, so along those lines, we do have a new review from last week. Oh, good. Okay, let's yeah. hear it. Uh, this the title of this one is the couch. The good couch. Place, good okay. place to listen to the podcast. Which, by the way, on the podcast app on iTunes, you can listen to the Good Day Sir podcast on from your Apple TV. Oh, you can. <laughs> yeah. Oh, cool. I've done it. We need to make sure, someone was asking, like, um, there's other directories and things. So we're, we're finally now on the Google Play Store, right? Yeah. But I think there's other things. Like, are we in, um, what was the one thing I signed us up for? Was it iHeartRadio? I don't know. No, it wasn't them. It was someone else. And Stitcher, we decided not to do because they... They say they want to build, they want the right to be able to inject ads whenever they want. Yeah, and... and Reformat they, the audio quality. Yep. And they and then they serve these modified audio files from their servers, and yeah. we don't even so we don't even get any numbers on that. And I'm just yeah, no. I mean, the one nice thing about SoundCloud though is you can't. It's really easy to kind of create little snippets of audio out of it. SoundCloud. What did I say? You said SoundCloud. That's it, isn't it? I don't know what you're talking about. I guess. So they have a player, and you can play it, and then you can actually comment on, in, during the 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 playback feed. And you can see other people's comments. Okay. Yeah. Well, we don't use SoundCloud. I know. I'm just saying. Speaking of which, though, I heard someone talking about SoundCloud and how it's so much better um, than it used to be for podcasts. And mm-hmm. this is someone who, I think they said they'd use Libsyn for years. And this guy has several podcasts. And he switched everything over to SoundCloud. It's, it's um, and he says it's a hundred dollars a year, and it's plenty for all of his. It gives you plenty of bandwidth on all that for all of his podcasts. And like the um, the embed thing is like much better. It's really nice mm-hmm. and that comment thing. I don't know. It sounds like they're really taking podcasts seriously. Yeah. I mean, they got some really nice tools. I d- and you know, it seems like it might make it easier for us to do more things or at least even make our podcast a little more interactive. But like you said, I mean, if, if they want to mess with the audio quality or introduce ads and things like that, I'm, I'm not sure. Oh, that's, um, the other one, which one? Um, the stitcher. Stitcher does that. Oh, Stitcher. Yeah, okay. Well, we are really getting our wires crossed. I know. Hold on. So Stitcher... Hold on. Let me... Yeah, SoundCloud is the one I'm thinking of. Okay. I'll spend some time looking at that. Okay, let's do the review. Let's get through this. All right, the couch. Starts off as saying, Good day, sir. Is it must listen... Is it must listen for anyone, anybody working as a developer in the salesforce.com world? Oh, I'm sorry. This is from Australia, actually. From Lacey Sr., Hey. I'm not, not going to assume who that is. That's Matt. That's, I, I'm not going to assume. It could be. That's his Twitter. It could be like that's fake, his handle. It could be like fake Lacey Senior, well, like fake Steve I, Jobs or somebody. <laughs> I guess. <laughs> All right. So good day, sir. Is a must listen for anybody working as a developer in the Salesforce.com world. 
honest views help cut through the marketing and messaging that pervades the ecosystem, providing a breath of fresh air and acting like something of a psychiatrist's couch when the hyperbole gets to be too much. At least that's how it works for me. Rather than cover specific development topics in detail, I think J&J, trademarked, <laughs> do a great job of providing what I'd regard as a high-level advice, or higher-level advice. I'm sure they dig down deep on occasion and a stack overflow is all but inevitable one day. Oh, from, from popping down too many levels. Yeah. Or from, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but much of the discussions focus on career-level aspects that have of being a developer and software engineer in general. This is more valuable than you might expect. Development, beer, and bourbon. What's not to like? Yeah. That was a long one. Thanks. Yeah. Appreciate no, it. That's, and that's very cool coming from my fellow uh, Salesforce podcaster. Yeah. They do, he and um, Stephen Harrod do uh, code coverage. All right. Do you listen to code coverage? I do. Um, I'm behind on my podcast, though, because I haven't, yeah. I usually listen when I'm writing, when Excuse, I'm cycling. Excuses, but. excuses. Sorry. <clears throat> um. No, but you know the the episodes that they do that I like the best are the ones when it's just Matt and Stephen, like either you know sitting at the bar or the or a restaurant or or whatever, and just mm-hmm. uh, I think the last one was like that, and I think maybe and it had been a long time since they recorded an episode, but might have been the one before that they did that. They also do a lot of interviews, which are which are cool. Um, I'm not a huge fan of the interview style for podcasts, though. Just I don't know. what about they're guests? Okay. I mean, we we do interviews, but they're they're not really interviews. They're more like guests. Well, yeah, and I, yeah, I, I I don't know. I guess they're. I mean, somewhat, I guess like the thing with Nick that was in a camera. Yeah, that was, was kind closer of closer to an interview than that, that was, we've had. And and we're not an interview show. Like we're not. That's not us. And again, there. I think it's a perfectly valid format, and it can be really informational. But that's not really us. I mean, the only reason we had Nick on was just I kind of you know, we talked about his 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 thing he's got going, and it seemed only fair to let him come on and answer some questions. But that's different than a, a someone who's like a guest host or just a guest. Mm-hmm. It's, not, not, it's not like they're in, we're interviewing them. They're just they're just kind of you know coming to contribute basically, right? So a little bit different. I mean, slight there's subtleties in these formats. But anyway, yeah. Thank you, thanks Matt for the review. John is a fruitist. That's what we've learned today. A fruitist. Yep. All right. Any more uh, business before we get into it? Um, that depends on what we're getting into. Um, I did want to put out a qualifying statement out there, a, uh, a uh, safe harbor, okay. if I will. All right. A disclaimer. <laughs> a disclaimer. Um, so last, we the big news that we've been covering a lot on is, is um, Einstein. So there, there is some new information that I received, which is that we believe that Einstein... I've got information, man. <laughs> new shit has come to light. Uh, our buddy Dang. <laughs> I'm sorry, Sorry, Dan, but you're dang to me. <laughs> Our buddy Dang pointed out that um, if you look on some of the doc- some of the advertising and everything from about Einstein, you'll see a little footnote in a lot of it that says that the that I guess the name Einstein is actually licensed. So they did actually get. Per- I don't know if it's licensed, but it says that they got permission to use the name. So then, then I'm sure they paid. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's one of those things. You want to use one of those people's names. You, you're usually paying either some foundation or their family, whoever owns the right to their to their likeness, right, and all right. that stuff. Um, I still find it very t- distasteful. Yeah, I, I I still stand by my comments, but at least at least they, there is some permission given to use it in this fashion, which I don't, I don't know. But anyways, my other my other statement, my original statement is going to be that um, I don't know anything about Einstein. The MVPs last week did have a webinar, and I was on vacation. Well, he was a, a famous scientist, John. 
Okay, who, I don't have any information on Salesforce. Developed the theory of relativity. Salesforce, oh, okay. Einstein, right. cloud, AI, <laughs> lightning bolt thingy. <laughs> the AI cloud. Um, so I want to just clarify to everyone out there, everything I'm, everything, anything and everything I say about it comes from just me taking guesses and reading stuff and coming up with my own thoughts. I didn't attend that webinar, so I don't have any inside information. So anything I say is completely just from my own head. Right. Um, and I, I find that kind of relieving in a way. One, I wasn't going to take time off from my vacation to sit on a webinar about Salesforce. I'm sorry. I was... You're, I was on vacation to get away you know, from John, all that stuff. We really need to work on your lack of commitment to the cause here. <laughs> and two, if I did get if I did go to that webinar, I wouldn't be able to say anything. So I just have to sit here on my hands while you said stuff and going, hmm, "Yeah, I can't say nothing." Right? I can't say nothing, yeah, and that's uh, just not fun. Well, and that, and because you, hmm, that's going to be tough for a lot of MVPs because most MVPs either are are podcasters or they blog a lot or they tweet a lot or they do videos and yeah. stuff. I mean. It, Keeping trying to keep straight like what is under NDA and what's not and what Salesforce what was un, in, under NDA but Salesforce already talked about those certain things which then allows you to talk about them that's mm-hmm. very difficult which is one reason why I generally no I think I think NDAs. for some it you know <clears throat> seeing it early and then being under the, under the embargo to not talk about it might give you the opportunity to kind of collect your thoughts maybe put together a really nice post about it that's really lengthy and talks in detail that you can post you know when the embargo's done and you can talk start talking about it um but for me and you it's 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 kind of just coming out of us in conversation so it doesn't really work that way with with the way we do this podcast yeah and and I also um I don't want advanced information because I want to be like every other regular Salesforce customer out there that's the experience I want mhm I mean, if we're going to, hey, we're going to talk about democratizing stuff, let's democratize it. <laughs> Which we all know is a bunch of crap, but whatever. Well, um, <clears throat> I feel horrible. Um, what's her name? Uh, the Trailhead. Uh, who runs the Trailhead? I have no idea. Is it Erica Cool or is that? No. no? Um, darn it. Why do I? I'm, try, I'm looking at my Twitter feed. I'm vamping. Is it? Hey, Yoshiki. <laughs> Benioff is in, uh, in New York here with Yoshiki. John, John's going down rat holes. What? He's right. Look, he's see. He's got this John. magical picture hey. of him playing a piano. Just step out of it. Oh, Yoshiki. I don't know who runs Trailhead. It's not Shauna. Uh, what's her name? Is it? No. Um, Chris, Chris Duarte. Oh, she runs Trailhead. Yeah, I didn't even know she worked at Salesforce. Yeah, I'm pretty sure. Am I wrong? I don't know. Are you wrong? The Chris Stewart. No, that's her. Yeah. I think she runs it. Maybe she does. So anyways. Maybe she does because... I think um, she'd listened to one of our episodes where people pointed to our episodes when we were talking about Trailhead. And and, and the only reason I bring it up is because she kind of had that same feedback about the way we reacted to Trailhead. <laughs> you know, she said it was kind of... I don't know. I don't, she was, I don't know if she was being nice or what, but she said it was kind of either interesting or funny, the way you guys kind of reacted to it. Like, well, what is this and what does it mean? And just who's, the way who's we... you guys? You and me. When did she say that? Uh, I met her at uh, last year's Dreamforce at the MVP party. Oh. You, you didn't get to go. No, that was I only didn't. For the cool, I, that was right. only for the cool exactly. kids like me. Yeah. And you had to sit in the corner on the bench and you no gotta, one wanted I guess to dance you guys with weren't, you. I guess you guys weren't democratizing that, were you? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I mean, I don't think I'm a, um, I'm not a good representation, and I just uh, of of, you know, of 
trailheads uptake. Yeah, that's like that's a, be a good word. I, it seems like it's very popular, and I I did get in there and do a couple of trails, and it seemed I, actually the first time I used it, it was it was breaking. It was like down, and I was trying to submit. Actually, my you thing didn't do any trails. I think I got a badge or two. No. Well, he, maybe you haven't looked recently. What was what's recently? Oh, this was months ago. Because you remember that security hole that well, we can talk about now because it's been patched. You can find anyone's. You can find anyone's email address if you hack the URL. Oh my gosh! Um, and and some people actually said they went explicit, specifically looking for your for your name. Yeah, in the email. I, I saw that. No, I've got. I, I think I did. No, you don't. I think I do. Apparently not. Because I remember. Find you. It, it was actually. I mean, I, I found it. I don't remember what the um, which trail it was, but I was like, hey, this is fun, and it's. I can see it's a good way to introduce some of the content and concepts to you. Um, I. I'm more of a self-directed learner. Like I'm like, I'm just like, give me the hardcore manual and the specification and I will learn this thing. <laughs> you know, I don't, I'm not, but I'm I, not, I think people <clears throat> learn in different ways. So for some reason, some people that this is going to be, you know, the thing for them. Obviously it's huge. People, people, people love it. What I don't know is if people love it because it's a great way to learn or if people love it because, um, you know, badges because badges. Yeah. Speaking of, uh, what's her name? <laughs> <laughs> oh that was that was it that was just that's, that's a, her well i know but you said okay. speaking of and then you said go get your back i, I thought you're gonna make some statement after that nope that's it anyway yeah, if you like badges go get badges anyway well, so were you making a, a greater point about what she said or where were we going with that I don't know. We were talking about the way we do the podcast because I mentioned how, you know, it's, it's fine for me to not know anything about Einstein because I think it kills the conversation because then I have to sit here, sit here and just say, I don't know, yeah. or I can't say anything. Right. You know, and then it, there's no back and forth then. I mean, they're going to announce everything before it's ready to use anyway. So, you know, it's no big yeah. deal. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't know. I mean, when Lightning came out, I, you know, my take on that was because they announced that one early as well. My, my take on that was because they wanted to make sure they could, put out sessions for it and people could register for them ahead of time um, because it was a big thing. They wanted everyone to know about it. And so I, I'm guessing maybe that's the new trend for this versus the, the cloak and the cloak and mirror thing where they're going to hide this secret and, and just make it a big surprise at Dreamforce. Maybe that doesn't enable them to allow people to kind of learn more about it. It just becomes this announcement and then, and then it goes away. Maybe by pre-announcing it, they're able to, Make sure there's sessions and everything that you can sign up for so you can go and learn more about it. You can ask people. You can go expecting that I'm going to go talk about Einstein or yeah. I'm going to go talk about lightning. Right. Um, so, so I guess, you know, from that philosophy, I guess announcing it early doesn't make sense. And I think that, again, the bigger you are as a company, the more you have to, you'd have to pre-announce things. Because, again, your, your ecosystem kind of needs to be prepared, your partners and whatever. <clears throat> well, since we were talking about Einstein... Um, I had this on my list to keep an eye on this guy, Richard Socher, who that's, have you heard Benioff mentioning him recently? Mm. I think one of our clips last week he talked about. So put him on your watch list. In fact, put him on, we need, we need to make this list actually, a contract exploration watch list. <clears throat> <laughs> he was, uh, he came across in one of the AI acquisitions. Mm-hmm. Um, let's see if I can find him. Was he from Mind? Metamind? Metamind? Yeah. I think he was Metamind. Oh, Sotra.org. I am the chief scientist of Salesforce. Uh, he was the founder and CEO and CTO of MetaMind, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, he is now Salesforce's, well, what did he just say? He's a chief scientist, yeah. right? But he's also came in as one of these acquisitions. So, you know, what, either it's either one year or two year, depending on his contract, from when he became 
when his company was purchased, that he will be leaving Salesforce. <laughs> <laughs> Which we've seen historically. Well, with. And I also had on my notes, I think this is from last week, but this some guy named Jeremy Waite, um, he was head of Salesforce's digital strategy. He left Salesforce and went to IBM. I think he'd previously been at Adobe. Is I don't, mm. I don't even know what that means. What does digital strategy mean? I don't know. I mean, pretty much my whole life, everything's been digital. So I don't know what digital strategy means. I don't know either. Like using computers. My strategy for writing this letter to you is not to get out a pen and pencil, but to type it into a computer. That's that's a digital that's a digital strategy. Uh huh. I mean, I don't know. I think I think I just think natively digital. And so, as a you know, in a if I'm at a company that's implementing some process, I mean, I'm going to think, you know, how how do computers solve this for us? That's going to be my go-to. I don't even like having like I don't even allow myself to write notes because. Remember Bill Gates said this a while back, and I really it resonated with me. He said, "If it's not digital, it doesn't exist for me." Mm-hmm. And I feel the exact same way because if it's not digital, then I'm going to lose it. I'm not going to be able to reference it or categorize it or search for it. I can't so, be reminded about it. So maybe maybe it centers around the media of passing information back and forth, something outside the realm of a database, like you know, sending and receiving emails or you know, chatter or maybe you know, the quip stuff would fall under that. You might as well call the guy I'm head of doing stuff with computers. Isn't that what it is? I, I like I like how some companies adopted these like chief awesome guy. <laughs> oh yeah, I remember Mozilla had some good ones. Their their CEO was uh, what was her name? Uh, it was a woman, but um, chief uh, lizard wrangler, I think. <laughs> I love those. Yeah, titles don't mean anything. Well, people take them too seriously. Is the problem? Yeah, uh, yeah. I guess t- I shouldn't say titles don't mean anything, but yeah, I, th- I think at some point they are. They do get taken too seriously. But yeah, so I guess um, Richard Socher is, and in addition to him being on the contract expiration watch list, he's running Einstein basically. Okay, so uh, we should we should see him a lot, I would think. Had some notes on Einstein. So among the AI pieces, uh, it is including in the platform uh, are advanced machine learning, deep learning, predictive analysis, natural language processing, and smart data discovery. So. High expectations. Yeah. But. <laughs> oh, and you have to be, I bet, I bet, I bet you have to be on Lightning to use it. You're going to have to be on Lightning to use anything that's new. Yeah. So just putting that out there. Uh, but it's funny. So all those things like, you know, advanced machine learning, deep learning, all this like, you know, super nerdy science stuff. Here are the prime use cases. For inside sales teams making cold phone calls all day long, the system can surface the most likely candidate as the next call automatically. <laughs> I feel like we've kind of had that. Okay. For salespeople working territories, it can keep them apprised of key information such as when a competitor's interest shows up in the news. Okay. Google News Alerts, right? And have, hasn't that been integrated in Salesforce for a while now? Salesforce added that as a feature years ago. Yeah. And yeah. <laughs> anyway. It's um, it's it's early days for Einstein. Um, if uh, I think if Salesforce does this right, in a couple of years, it'll probably start getting. Could I could see it getting fairly compelling, and maybe sooner. I'm just saying, I'm I'm just setting expectations. Like, don't expect just because you've been hearing all the corporate propaganda and bluster and everything. Don't expect that it's going to all of a sudden give you this edge on your competitors year one. It's new. They're still trying to figure stuff out. It's a lot of marketing. Salesforce is a marketing company. Don't ever forget that. 
Yeah, they got some really nice uh, illustrations of Einstein on planes and clouds and exactly. And and it's funny um, this week. Uh, well, first of all, we didn't really talk about. It. I think I think last week Oracle's financial results came out. Eh, kind of boring. I mean, they sales were okay, um, made a lot of money, and cloud revenue still uh, growing quite a bit. In fact, I think they're on a four billion dollar run right now. So that's uh, growing fast, like fifty or sixty percent a year. But um, Oracle World. And Java One are both this week, mm-hmm. and uh, I, I've, I've watched one of the, the Allison keynote videos. I don't have any clips though. Maybe the maybe uh, we'll have time to digest those and have some fun new information about Docker lightweight containers or something. I, I, yeah, that's, that's all I'm interested <laughs> in. The, they are all about the Docker man. I mean, everyone <laughs> is, um, ex- unless you're a Salesforce developer. Um, but uh, where was I going with that? I have no idea. Oh. So Larison, uh, Larry Ellison is, oh, what did I just say? Larison? That's an, <laughs> maybe that's what we should start calling him, Larison. Larison. Anyway, Ellison's up there uh, giving his, like, the first keynote speech. And, you know, he's got this giant screen behind him like these companies do at their, at their big events. Mm-hmm. But as, as it was last year, and I, I'm presuming every year, it looks, like, it looks like some intern, it looks like a big PowerPoint that some intern put together. Oh, yeah, with, like, clip art for... Servers. They didn't and even have clip art. They nope. didn't, didn't even have clip art. <laughs> clip art. It was just bullets. And you know, like when you do, you start a bullet list and it's like dots, like the PowerPoint by default dots. And if you tab in one, it's like a dash. I mean, it's like default PowerPoint. Yeah. And with the, you know, the, the Oracle, like annoyingly bright red and black. And it's like, wow, this, the, the quality of this presentation is just, uh, yeah, I, I, I see where you're going. I, I think. You got to give it to Salesforce and their marketing team. I mean, they, they can make some pretty nice. 80, Oracle's an eighty billion dollar company that <laughs> that produces like ten billion dollars of cash every year. Yeah, well, uh, and, I mean, and they have hardcore. I mean, technology. we kind of talked about this too. I mean, so, sometimes I mean, good marketing helps, and really nice graphics and design helps. Absolutely, I'm not going to negate that at all. But sometimes, if you just have a really good product, sometimes some of those things can get overlooked because you just got a good product. Well, you, we were just having this conversation earlier about how the product speaks for itself. Yeah. What were we talking about? Chick-fil-A. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we were driving by, there's a long line, and I said, I said, man, Chick-fil-A just got, must have some really good chicken because it doesn't matter what their political stances are, people are still going to Exactly. Them. Yeah. Anyway. Um, mm. And another thought. Mega Man. Mega Man? Mega, Mega Man. Okay, what's that? It's a video game. Never played Mega John, Man when you were a I'm kid? not a video game nerd. You never played Nintendo? I was programming basic. I was not playing games. <laughs> I was like Mark Russell Benioff, except I didn't, I didn't get a game published. <laughs> well, the cover art for Mega Man is this crappy-ass thing that has, does not represent the game itself, yet it was, it was, it's a highly successful, fun game to play, platformer game, but that, that was another one that popped in my head, because when you look at the original cover art for, for Mega Man, it, it doesn't really represent anything about the game, and it looks horrible. And that's the way things were back then with, with games. You, you went and looked at the... You didn't know what game. There was no gaming news sites, or there's no websites with gaming news, or YouTube with gaming cheat news. Codes. or I mean, yeah, they had cheat codes, but you had to buy, like, the Nintendo magazine, the nin- Nintendo oh. Power. Oh, really? Wow. <laughs> but, I mean, back then, you you went to the your local Blockbuster to try to rent a video game, and... You just had to kind of base it off the cover, or maybe you might get lucky and there's some screenshots of the game. So, you know, despite some of those inadequacies, you know, certain games did get picked up because they had really, they were really good gameplay. Everyone talked about it. You know, you told your friends, hey, this is an awesome game, go play it. 
I think what we're talking about here is the game that has that the outstanding packaging, sexy as hell, and you get it home, and the game's like, yeah, this kind of sucks. Yeah, the controls are kind of weird. <laughs> it, it, you know, maybe the game, pl- the plot yeah. of the game doesn't really work for you. Yeah, it's called lipstick on a pig. Anyway, um, one of these uh, there's a million of these Einstein articles, of course. Um, but one of them had some comments which uh, I thought were great. Um, I'm not sure which one it was. Might have been TechCrunch. <clears throat> And it says, uh, the one guy says, why would you drag Einstein's name into, the, into a sales platform? Einstein would hate that. Can you picture him analyzing Amazon orders? He wouldn't give a shit. Fitbit. <laughs> and then it says, if it becomes sentient, it will deny anything sales. Yeah, that's funny. <laughs> um, someone else says, uh, you can be sure it's for a marketing reason. Nowadays, everyone sees Einstein as an allegory of intelligence. The point of AI is to be intelligent. I agree with you, though. They just insult him by picking his name for the sales platform. And then someone else says, why not Rockefeller or Morgan, J.P. Morgan? These guys knew how to make money. Leave Einstein alone. <laughs> uh, and then some guy says, yeah, I can even get a filtered related list. And you're working on this? <laughs> I was telling my wife, like, uh, all the, and we're talking about the Einstein stuff. And she just, you know, she because she, she does like some Salesforce stuff. And she goes into her tirade about like all the stuff that you can't do. And like the how reporting is still so limited. You have to do, you have to do stupid things to your, to your data model to get the kind of reporting you want. And all I that. I'm just like formulas and things and maybe Einstein will create all your reports for you now oh, they're just going to yeah, do an maybe. end run on that problem <laughs> do you think we're do you think um, Salesforce is going to redesign their logo tangent well they already did they have the blue poo they do That's new. but have you noticed that um, a lot of their new materials um, the cloud is being drawn with lines it's kind of like the squiggly, squiggly lines and they have that for Einstein so like on their website they have Einstein the little character and he's holding like a cloud but it's drawn in lines and it looks like it's got little dots. So it looks like atoms are, are kind of doing their thing. Um, but on, on um, some other materials unrelated to, to Einstein before Einstein was even announced, that, that image was, was kind of on certain things. I don't, so, know. I don't know. I would doubt it. It's not a great idea to change your logo all the time. In fact, you should rarely change your logo. Salesforce already changed it once, so I can't see them changing it again. So we're stuck with Blue Poo? By the way, prediction at Dreamforce. They will have Einstein bobbleheads. Mm. That'd be going a bit far, don't you think? Oh, you're talking about the the. <laughs> you're talking about Salesforce, John. I don't know if there is a too far. Well, we we have they have um. Uh, what's his name? Astro. They have um a whole iOS uh emoji set of Astro. I think it's an emoji set. Have you seen that? Nope. Yeah, I saw it on um on Twitter. So for chat and everything, you can add little emojis. They're actually well done. Hmm. Actually, really well done characters. But um, yeah, I, I don't. I'll find the link and put it in the show notes. But apparently, you can go search on on your iOS phone in the App Store, and you can find I think the Salesforce emojis or something. Weird. <clears throat> uh, so Salesforce lost another big opportunity, John. You, get, you getting worried yet? <laughs> mm, I don't know. So Salesforce has had Virgin Atlantic as one of its uh, you know, bigger customer wins. Mm-hmm. Um, but this past week, they announced that Virgin Mobile uh, has selected Sugar CRM mm. to run its customer service and engagement ac- initiatives. <clears throat> so Salesforce for CRM and Sugar for service? No, Virgin Mobile it was no Salesforce. Virgin Atlantic. Mm. Run Salesforce. <clears throat> okay, I see what you're saying. 
Um, but did you know that uh, Sugar announced a couple of you? I don't really follow Sugar CRM. Do you? you no. No, I don't either. I, I, I just, the only, I, I like their, um, what would we call it? Counter advertising at Dreamforce that they do? Uh, like Gorilla. Gorilla advertising, yeah, yeah I guess. <clears throat> um, but no, you know, you think of Sugar CRM as like the open source CRM thing, right? Because they've always been open source. But a couple of years ago, they announced they would not be releasing any more open source versions. Huh. Uh, from then on, they will so they'll they just want to focus directly on the commercial model. How is that not like a big uproar? That that's odd because even um, who was it? Was it Talent? 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 They they started as open source and they still have an, an open source core, but they transitioned to a kind of more corporate model with an application, but they still kept the core as open source. <clears throat> I need a mute switch. <clears throat> choking on that whiskey. The problem is a mute switch for these is like 100 bucks. It is. <laughs> it's ridiculous. And I'm worried about the sound quality because you basically have to map your 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 microphone into it and then it's, it oh, yeah. routes out of it. And then I'm worried that, you know, that switch, if it's not good enough, it's going to... Well, gonna... that's why they cost 100 bucks because they need to be good. Yeah. I mean, they're for, you know, high quality applications. <clears throat> <clears throat> what were you saying though? I was going to say something. I was talking about Talend and, and how they transitioned from oh. open source into you know. I feel like they're, pay for they're open sourcing, as with a lot of these, is really just a marketing gimmick. It's a it's a foot in the door. It's who Talend? No, they were they started out being pure open source, and then they they a had lot. like they had an offering where they would they would implement what, it for you, you as it. a you service. They started out open source. I don't think the plan was ever to. You think the plan was to stay open source, and still, there's a ton of it that's like it's like some core of it's open source. But how know. useful we, is we that? We all have families to feed. I mean, it's tough. I mean, if, if, that's fine. You know, the, the hippies back I'm, then, I'm, the developing software that that created we Linux. Have, we and have wanted... families to feed, John, but we're upfront. Hey, you you want me to do this? Pay me this much, and I'll do it. Okay, you're upfront about it. It's not yeah. like some weird bait and switch thing or like something. Oh, here, go ahead and use this, and you know that that thing's not really usable in the way you just gave it to them. You're setting them up for failure, so they have to come back to you and then you know negotiate from a from a position of weakness no i don't think i don't think that was talent's approach i mean may, maybe they did start out open source to see what the market was like or maybe well, why would they be open source because they make money by selling their software well they, they made they were attempting back then i think the the business the new business model that everyone was trying was services they weren't necessarily trying to sell you the software they're trying to sell you the services and the the warranty and the maintenance uh, what are service level agreements um that's what they were trying to sell you yeah, and that, then the model switched to the subscription model, you know, with, with you know the cloud and everything. So I think it was just a, a symptom of the times. I don't, I don't know a, what's the right way of saying that. So this, you know, this guy Matt Assay that writes all over the place. He wrote an article, I think, a few months ago about how the open source model um, does not work. Yeah, you know, basically, you can't you can't run a business on open source. So if you're interested, go check it out. Maybe we can find it for the show notes. I'll make a note here. Matt's, okay. There's plenty of companies that use <clears throat> open source technologies on there. And I don't know if this is new, but I also saw that um, IDC released like a an ROI report for Salesforce. Interesting. Um, it's like, yeah, so it's it's like ROI that you'll get from running Salesforce. But there's a couple of interesting things. Number one, even though this was not listed anywhere in Salesforce's press release on it, Salesforce paid them to do the report. <laughs> So you always have to take those with a giant, you know, two-ton block of salt. So how did Salesforce pay them to the to do the report? What did they do? Say, we want a report that says, that shows the ROI that we, we provide? It's, 
it's pretty transparent how this business of research and analysis works. And I, this is something we've talked about since day one. Gartner, IDC, Forrester, doesn't matter. The, the business model works the same. They, they make their money from the companies they cover. Anyway, it was also based on a grand total of 12 customers. <laughs> but that, That's something I had to learn about statistics in general. Whenever you hear these numbers, you know, oh, 50% said this or, or 90, 75% said this. And then you look at the sampling size and it's like 10. Yeah. Or it's like 10 out of one, 10 or nine out of 10 doctors. So that's 90% people well, agree that this is the right way to do this. And the weird thing is, I guarantee you, IDC employs statisticians and data scientists. They, they know that this is not even remotely statistically significant and that they should be ashamed of themselves. I don't know. They, I, know, I like, they know that. They know this. I like to think these guys did not spend years in school to sit there and just fudge data. I'm not saying they're fudging it. They're just, listen, uh, my Six Sigma black belt uh, instructor, uh, may he rest in peace. So, one of his sayings he would always say, which is great. And I'm not, I think I would probably modify this because it kind of sounds weird, but tell me how you'll measure me and I'll tell you how I'll perform. Yeah. Basically, when you know how you're getting measured, you just optimize for that measurement. Yeah. That, but that could still mean you're doing a crap job. True. <laughs> but technically, you're, you're measuring well. <laughs> um, isn't, okay. that, isn't that Salesforce's uh, stance on, on their software? I don't know. They I know guess. they're getting measured on the performance of user activity, not developer activity. So, yeah. so you have to wait a minute for a compiler. They get measured by, you know, signing up new customers and shiny. I don't know why I took it there. Fancy I don't want to take it there. I don't know why I took it there. I was making a bad joke. I guess it's just our shtick. Um, anyway, I'm not going to discuss the merits of that report because it's boring. It's obviously you know Salesforce is absolutely uh, you know amazing and uh, the ROIs are off the charts and all that stuff. If you care about that, go read it. But <laughs> I like some of their descriptions of things. Um, the Salesforce platform was originally Force.com, a cloud-hosted service that provided a proprietary language, Apex, the Visual Force user interface, and a connection for apps to customers' existing Salesforce data. Not quite sure what that last one means. Force.com, which, by the way, someone pointed out has been resurrected. Like they're <laughs> Because they, they told us, okay, don't call it Force.com anymore. Don't even go to that URL. It doesn't exist anymore. It's back. Force.com Force. URL is back? Force.com is back. Or the branding for it? I guess both. I mean, this report's brand new, and they're talking about Force.com, and the URL is back. They've got stuff at it. I go to it, anyway, and it reroutes me to Products Force. I mean, it looks like a, it looks like a thing. That there are better apps with Force.com. I'm telling you. <laughs> are they getting rid of Salesforce One? Because this is all mobile stuff on this front page. I don't know. Oh, my God. But anyway, so, so let me continue here. Force.com has been... Like, okay, listen, because you know what Force.com is. I've always... This has been fairly consistent. Force.com means things like custom objects and Apex and Visual Force, all this on-platform stuff, right? Mm -hmm. That's what... And if we say Force.com, that's how you know that you're talking about that and not Heroku or something else that Salesforce may or may not own or be involved with, right? That's, right. It has a fairly, I think, well-understood meaning. Force.com has been expanded to include the use of Java. Hey, John. <laughs> I, my we, wish we, has come true. We can do Java. That's awesome. Where, where, where do I, what do I do to connect where to do that? I, where, where do I put my jar? Yeah. <laughs> we, we, where, where, do we, where do we sign up and start spending? Where's my, where's my credit card? Where, where exactly. can I put my credit card yeah, number? Exactly. <laughs> Let's do this. Where do I swipe? 
I'm a, I'm a C sharp guy, but I'll take Java. Damn it. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> hey, if you, if you can, if you know one, you can learn the other. Uh, it now includes the more open source oriented Heroku development platform as well. Yeah. Well, that's but always accessed, had Java. but accessed through the same Salesforce development platform. Huh? <laughs> it includes the uh, now Heroku. Okay. But it's accessed through the same Salesforce development platform. So you're not going to be accessing Heroku through Salesforce. You're going to be accessing hey, I'm Heroku just, through Salesforce? I'm just reading you what the IDC experts have to say. I did, I, I did want to... <laughs> that doesn't make sense. I know it doesn't make sense. Um, here, here are some of the claims I thought were funny. Application development ran ran 50% faster on the, on the Force.com platform than off of it. Ran fast? I think what they're trying to say, I know, I, I, that's the exact quote. I think what they're trying to say is application development is twice as fast on Salesforce platform than not on the Salesforce platform. But they say ran, not developed. It took 59% less time to get an application in production with the number of apps that could be developed per year increasing by 44%. Now, first of all, the number of apps that could be de- developed per year, I mean, what is an, an app is not an app is not an app. Some apps have 50 lines of code. Some have 10 million lines of code. You can't, right. you can't say that, oh, we increased the number of apps we, cr- we created. Well, that doesn't mean anything. <laughs> they could be crap. They could be small, simple things. Who knows what those are? Those yeah. could be just like branded versions of some other app. I mean, but plus, you know, it took 59% less time to get an application into production. Have they not ever tried to deploy to production before in yeah. Salesforce? Have they not heard of Docker lightweight containers? <laughs> <laughs> they're companies that have to charge to get their product into production. I think they're comparing it to like um, IBM you know, mainframes from the 60s or something. I don't know what they're comparing to. Uh, and then it says, when these results are considered across the Salesforce partner and customer base, the authors concluded that Salesforce SaaS will drive the creation of 1.9 million jobs between now and 2020, along with $389 billion, $389 billion in added GDP. Okay, Salesforce does what, $8 billion a year, right? They're going to be $8 billion in FY17? So $10... Eight, eight billion, but it's going to create $389 billion in GDP. Again, this is one of those things that's impossible to even... Take that seriously. I mean, I can't, you can't even analyze. I mean, you just, there's nowhere to go with that. <laughs> I just found that amusing. I'm still stuck on the 1.9 million jobs number. Yeah. I mean, that, that would assume that their, their growth rate but continues. Wait a minute. They, and, don't even, they don't even know that there's already 3 million developers. Those people all have jobs. And I'm just, well, because <laughs> it, it just says jobs. It, it could be, you know, admins, developers, they, um, I don't know, managers. I mean, I don't, I, don't, I don't know. Traditionally, hasn't software made things easier so less people have to do that job? And they also apparently didn't go to Adam's talk. Hi, everybody. Because he said there's going to be 100 million developers after Trailhead has done its job. Wow. So, wow. Well, 10% of 100 million, man. We, sh- we should have an audience of developers. Yeah. This is, the, this is a strategy. Just throw all kinds of unbelievable, even hard to comprehend Numbers and, and but it's so fun. Everywhere. It's so fun when and Mark then, is on and stage and those numbers are oh, flashing on those presentations. You, and just, everything's animated. Oh, it's, it's fun. I just I just sat through a one and a half hour Larry Ellison keynote. 
which gave me basically nothing to clip. It was so freaking boring. I will take a Mark Benioff speech <laughs> any day of the week. There is no good day show, good day show without Benioff. No. Could you imagine if, if our thing was Oracle? Oh my God. Uh, it'd be a boring show, I think. John, what's your, uh, do you have your favorite uh, sequel statement of the week? <laughs> Mine is. <laughs> Mine is begin transaction because <laughs> transactions are so important. We all know that. <laughs> that would be a great mm, show. That would. <clears throat> <laughs> oh, man. I have um, I have a pet peeve of the week. I was gonna be it was gonna be a PSA, but I've decided to escalate it to a, a pet peeve, which is don't name your fields the object name and the field name. Like for example. If you have, mm. um, oh, what would be a good one? Um, well, I mean, account name. Yeah, but the field is called name. Yeah, but I, that's the I, object I, I, and name. I see things where... Like, no, I, I just mean some creating a field called account name. Right. Is that what you mean? Yeah, that's Something exactly like that? Right. Okay. Like, let's, let's say just a random example. It's like, uh, maybe you have an object called inventory item. And don't have the field names be like inventory item quantity, inventory item category, inventory item uh, price, inventory item cost. Like, you can take that whole inventory item thing off. Yeah. It's these things are already scoped by the object they're in. Yeah. I mean it makes it just it makes coding more difficult, it makes maintenance more difficult. It makes the whole screen harder to read, it makes your page layouts difficult. Imagine what it does to mobile interfaces. Yes. You got to think about mobile folks. <laughs> yeah, I I I I'm surprised. Sometimes I'm like I ask that question and people are like, "Huh?" I'm like, "Well, did you guys think about mobile?" I mean, there's there's plenty of people uh, so there are times where I'm I'm in in an architecture session and we're talking about all these different ideas on how to do something or prevent someone from doing something, and they they want to do this kind of weird custom visual force hack. Uh, I'm just saying it's a hack, but it's not. They they want to maybe override the page with visual force and do this. I'm like, well, what about mobile users? Or yeah, I can technically hide that and get rid of it by overriding the page, but what about mobile users? Or what about someone doing this other thing from this other system? It's not going to change that. Well, the, <clears throat> I think the worst thing along those lines is when people when you you need to prevent users from doing something in a certain context or let me think of uh, here's a good example um, you need to give people the ability to edit something but not delete it can you even do that in Salesforce? Yeah. Is, okay let's say the other way around you want to give them the ability to ah, God is this a good example? I may be I, this is probably not a great example but um, let me think of something else. Um, I can't, I can't, I can't recall the exact use case, but it was they needed them not to be able to edit it, edit a field on a page, mm-hmm. but they still had to have edit access to that field for some other reason, which I can't remember. So, of course, what they say is, well, um, yeah, we'll just make it read only in the page layout. That's good enough. I'm like, right. no, it's not, because there's a lot of other ways people can interact with data. Right. The stupid Outlook plugin, you know. It, any of these IDE tools, Sock will explore, um, any API things, third-party tools that you've installed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, th- I think a, a common scenario that I get is... I is, have to make that argument all the time. I, I can't tell you how many times I've argued with people. Yeah. like, listen, this is not good enough security. Right. So speaking of pet peeves around customizing and configuring, what is your stance on spaces turning into underscores on names. Do you prefer people just leave them alone if there's a space in the name, go ahead and do that? Or do you prefer they get rid of the underscores? So if it's like uh, account number or account external number, do you want ex- 
account underscore external underscore number, or do you want to see just external number underscore C? I gave up that. I prefer no underscores, but I gave up that fight a long time ago. And my most important thing is that it's consistent. And so I've basically just gone, I mean, I've been all underscores for a long time now. I I had the same <clears throat> opinion. I wanted the underscores gone, but it the, the the norm and the default is just to let the system do what it does, and which leaves the spaces. And Apex is already a very underscore happy language. Yeah. So you might you know just you better just make, that, make peace with the underscores. The one thing that does get me is is the uh, special characters. So if you do like a single quote s, and it turns into an underscore s, and no one changes that, that kind of bugs me. Yeah. Oh wow, my ears are like ringing all of a sudden. You saying it's my voice? No, just it's one of those things where all of a sudden, like you can't hear, and the hear, all you hear is a ring. You it's get that a, ever? It's a tumor. Thanks. Are you supposed to say it's not a tumor? Oh. <clears throat> um, let's see what else is going on. Uh, John, guess who? Uh, and I'm just, I don't know. I feel like this is always this is just the Jeremy show. Well, I have stuff, but okay, you always we'll go. No, go. Go ahead. You already no, said, you, hey, John. No, you go. No, too late. Too late. Hey. Too nope. late. Nope. We're just gonna sit here, dead air. Well, I was going to segue, since we were talking about Einstein, into other things relating to AI, Okay, the things that are getting popular. Amazon is, is going full force with their, their Echo. I'm not going to say the other word. <laughs> right. They, they are now selling like five packs. They're of the dot. Five and 12 packs of the dot. And they're, they're pretty much replacements for the, what, what is the, the larger tower. And the main feature that the larger tower offers is the 360 speaker. So if you really want, if you really like playing your music off Amazon, which no one does because they don't have a, they don't have the library, um, the dots are are pretty much enabling you to put them everywhere in your house, and it's always listening. So you don't, you don't, you can just talk to it. That Amazon Music Library is very limited, isn't it? It is. It's missing a ton of stuff. So I think, I think in terms of like home automation market, at least for people that want that kind of thing, I think Amazon's killing it. I don't see Google or even Apple coming close to that. So we have an Amazon and. Uh, Echo, and we have a dot in another room, and I'm just kind of aware. I mean, I just don't use them at all. In fact, it's gotten to the point where anytime one of my kids, you know, wakes her up, and I'm, I'm just like, "Stop, cancel!" I just don't want to hear it. Yeah. It's just, you know, the, like you said, the music library is very disappointing. Yeah, and you have to. It it's still in this awkward thing where like you have to know how it expects to hear and you know anything. Yeah. How you, how it expects you to ask questions and I'll just ask basic stuff all the time. It's like, I'm sorry. I didn't, I don't know the answer to that question. I, know. I mean, just super, I mean, I'll test it sometimes. Just surely it knows this and I'll ask and no, it doesn't know it. I'm just like, I don't know. This is just not, I don't know. But if, I, I, if, if, listen, if you think it's cool to say, hey, what's the weather or, or what's the traffic report? And as you walk out, if that works for you, fine. I have an app for that on my phone that works much better. I'm just going to stick to that. <laughs> well, I, I think it's kind of an entry point into the technology. I think, I think eventually the, the AI's ability to understand language and to be able to um, offer better, or at least be able to respond better, just based on natural speaking versus having to explicitly define your your verb action or, or I'm sorry, um, noun verb. Um, yeah. So, so there's that. So that's on there, and and there's apps out there for Salesforce to you know you know what's my top leads for the day or whatever there's there's things out there that that can do that and you can write your own you can you we can we can make that happen um so with einstein do you think that'll play into any of it do you think we'll be able to there were some rumors and again i don't know anything but there were some rumors that there there might be some potential in the near future some kind of voice assistant for salesforce 
Well, it's not a rumor. Um, remember, hang on. This is when uh, that overcast feature comes in handy. Among the AI pieces that it will include are advanced machine learning, deep learning, predictive analytics, natural language processing. You must have missed that. And smart data discovery. Well, natural language processing could mean it's reading text and, and doing that. It doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to be able to hit a command and a microphone and be able to speak to Salesforce. I always understand that to mean um, audio voice, like vo- voice. Okay. I could be wrong. But, yeah, I mean, I, I, I wouldn't be surprised if Salesforce, is there not a, uh, what do they call it, a skill for yeah, there is. There is. Yeah, there's some okay. people. And even I kind of toyed with the skill, but I, I found it kind of cumbersome because I ended up having to kind of create a an action for every different type of combination of way you would say something and try to create something. So Yeah, it's it's not that intelligent. That's the problem. Like, yeah. I need I needed something that would be able to take the the speak and then process that into something that I could work on better versus me saying, When you hear this and this, then run this action. I needed something that that kind of gave me the inputs, you know, it, it, I'm, I'm, I know I'm not describing that the right way, but I need it to give me the command versus me trying to tell it what the command is going to be. Right. I mean, that's the, it's almost like me saying menu, uh, print file, you know, as the skill developer, like it should do all of that hard stuff for you. And it, I'm sure it does some, it's just, I guess, again, it's just <clears> not there yet. Ideally. Well, speaking of Salesforce, um, and, things that's integrate with it. <clears throat> this company Troops or this product Troops, which we talked about, I don't know if you remember, a they bit. have a Salesforce bot for Slack. Ah, well that that fits in well with my next topic as well. Oh yeah, I just was <laughs> going to mention them because they um I, I think they have I think it's available. You can you can try it for free. I think it may be I don't even know if they're charging for it yet, but they had r- raised like a million or 2 million dollars. But they just raised another, I think it was a C round, $7 million, maybe hmm. um, to continue working on the Salesforce spot. $7 million. Wow. Uh, they have seven employees. So the, the bots in the, in the chat, which, which is actually, I was going to segue into that next, is that that's kind of heating up. Microsoft is now supposedly adding what they're, what they're calling Salesforce Teams, which is supposed to be into Skype. I'm sorry, not Salesforce, Skype Teams into Skype, which is supposed to be Slack-like in its, in its ability to kind of create these communications and, so, and so service Salesforce bots. is doing something with Skype teams? No, no. Microsoft. Okay. I, I misspoke. Microsoft is adding a feature to Skype that they're going to call Skype teams, which is kind of like a Slack communication type medium into it. And it's supposed to add, you know, things like bots. We, we, you mentioned troops um, for Slack. Um, and then Google is also coming out with a new messenger system called, I don't know what it's called. Allo or Alo? I don't know. I, I think hello and you know when someone with an accent says hello. Yeah, yeah. I think it's yeah, so, hello basically. So yeah, I think it's basically hello. And it, it, it's it's basically the same thing, but it, it's more of a it's almost like a messenger communication. You have access to a Google bot that you can ask it questions and it'll go out and search and, and retrieve things and things like that. So uh, that that market's kind of heating up. It is. I mean there's I think there's a lot of VC going into it. A lot of research, but it's it's still just early days, I think. Yeah, we're still in the early days. And these early days do need to happen. I mean, obviously, for us to get to the next level for, for the, you know, for those of us in the, the marketplace can say, that's getting close to something I need, so I'm going to start using it, and there, thus more investment gets put into it. But we're in the early days. Our kids will probably 
see a lot more automation than we are right now. Yeah. <clears throat> it's crazy to think what they'll be using and how they'll be interacting with systems. And I, I think back to back to the future. What was it? Two, where they had that arcade set up and and they're trying to figure out the kids are trying to figure out how to work it. And it's it's actually Elijah Wood, I think, who's the little mm. kid. And uh, the uh, Michael J. Fox character. Um, oh, what's his name? Marty McFly. Walks over and fixes it, and he shows them how to use it, and they look at him and go, "You have to use your hands." Yeah, you know. So yeah, the timeline is off because <laughs> we should already be there. I but mean, <clears throat> even to think in two thousand six when the iPhone came out, in two thousand five, you would have never imagined such a device. Well, we didn't know we needed it until Steve Jobs brought <laughs> That's it to true. market. Yeah, when he described that he had created a what did what did he call it? he the three new products: an instant messaging product, a web browser, and a and a mobile communicator. Then he said, by the way, it's all one product. <laughs> that was like, that was, had to be the most famous, obviously, uh, introduction, pro- product introduction, probably in the world. Yeah. Uh, what else? Um, you don't think about velocity? V- v- or, sorry, vlo- velocity. I guess it's almost like a Russian name. Velocity. There's no E in there. Salesforce has given them another $50 million. I don't know much about them. Um, it's guys from Viva. Some guys that left Viva and went to create this. Um, they they create just some um, industry specific applications. They picked like four different industries and just uh, built apps. And they I guess run mm-hmm. on Salesforce. But Salesforce dumped another or or not Salesforce. I think Salesforce participated in the round. But maybe we should do that. Um, just oh, the, pick it. Just rant. Just have the wheel of industries and just spin it. Yeah, and exactly. Then just pick one and go. Well, we're gonna right. build some apps for that. Yep. Mobile pet grooming. Boom. <laughs> Done. <laughs> I'll take my ideas. John. Um, Jeremy. I ran across something the other day that I, I felt almost embarrassed I didn't know. I had never heard of it before. Uh, Salesforce, in Salesforce, there's the notion of skinny tables. Do you know about this? Uh, yeah. They're tables that don't have... Um, uh, they have to any cross objects. Yeah, there's no cross object stuff. How do all, you get them? Basically, all the checkboxes when you create an object, you have to turn them all off. Like, there's no field history, there's no reporting, there's no activities, there's nothing attached to them. You just create them and you uncheck all the boxes, and that basically creates a skinny table. And can you not have lookups or relationships? No, you can. You can. Yeah, the concept is it's not going to attach all the other stuff, like tagging or chatter or, well, I don't know about chatter, but tagging, um, history tracking, report, I think reporting, all that stuff, it's, it's not necessary for that. So you can create, like, just these objects that don't take up more space. So this says Salesforce creates skinny tables to contain frequently used fields and to avoid joins. And it keeps skinny tables in sync with their source tables when the source tables are modified. Oh, I don't know what that is. Oh, well, well, Okay, so if we're talking Salesforce architecture, skinny tables are usually like just smaller index tables. So they'll take data, like the name table, which name object or table that exists that has the ID and the name and maybe a few other index fields in it. And that's how that's how it optimizes whenever you load a page and all your lookups have the name or the yeah. or the mini the mini lookup and the hover has that information. That's all indexed in a skinny table. So why would I want to use skinny tables? Is there any benefit to me? It, I guess it can make some things faster. <clears throat> I think that's that problem. You know when you get more than a couple of million rows in a Salesforce object? It starts mm-hmm. performing slowly. Like views take forever just to even do anything. Reports take even just generating page one of a report takes forever. Well, you, you just 
have too much data. What's that? <laughs> yeah, it's my fault. You're a data hoarder. You need to get rid of some of that stuff. Is that what is that where skinning tables? Is that a, is that a use case for them? No, it, it's it's typically a smaller summarized set of data. Typically, in in general, when I talk about skinny tables, because I've heard of this concept before, it's not a Salesforce concept. It's just a concept in managing data and and extrapolating performance out of your data. And that's the most frequently accessed data of a data set. If you have a table that's got a thousand columns, if you go to to access that information, it's going to be slow because when the database has to go and page through and find your column or your data, it has to read through all that. Um, so what you do is you have some background process or, or something that, that kind of indexes some of the smaller or the more frequently used data sets. In, in, you can call it indexes, you can oh, call it, it summarizing. Looks like, it looks like it's a really denormalized table. Right, exactly. Okay, it's just keeping copies of things. So it, so yeah, if okay. you frequently access some information and it has, has some joins to other things, you might bring those into it so that it's just this really straightforward query that just returns that piece of information versus all the other, um, what, what do we call it, um, rational is it rational databases? Why am I getting my terms relational? on this? Relational database. Without all the relational stuff, it's basically bringing it back down to just like this static You're, you're being irrational, John. I know. I don't know. I don't know what's wrong with me. My brain works sometimes, people. I don't know what's going on with it today. But anyway, you have to, you have to contact Salesforce to even enable that. Well, anytime you have to do that, I'm just like, really? They're, 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 I mean, that, that concept's kind of existed. So if you've had, if you've had a lot of data and you're reports are running slow or your list views aren't loading, you can contact yeah, them. Contact and they, support, because that's always a great experience. And what they can do with their, what was the black box? Apparently what they can do with their black box is they can selectively index some of your data or, or flag some of your fields for, for indexing so that it ends up becoming quicker. And the indexing routines kind of revolves around these skinny tables that they create uh, that, that kind of help improve mm. performance. Yeah, I've just never, I've never... Um, so what... what what I've was never, it I thinking? I've never knowingly created a skinny table. So, so what I was describing earlier when I said you turn off all the fields is there is the concept of um, a, an object that you can create. And if you turn everything off on it, it becomes a certain type of object or considered a certain type of object that's yeah. supposed to be smaller in size and not impact you as much. And I'm not, I'm not, I'm not sure what that term is, but that's what I thought you were asking it's about. It's not like an Aloha object. What do they use, what do they use that for? Aloha, um, is it? I don't know, maybe. That's what I thought you were talking about. Yeah. I but I, it's just the concept of it doesn't have all these other extra objects, so the, the system doesn't have to manage much around it, so it can just, you know, I guess creating and updating and looking up stuff on it is pretty quick and easy. Right. I'm uh, kind of just vamping here, waiting for super slow Salesforce to load. Come on, Salesforce. <laughs> You're waiting My for gosh, Salesforce to load? so slow. Why are you waiting for Salesforce to load? Because I want to see what this is called. We can, we can cut this out. This will all be cut out in the in the uh, magic of post production. This will never be heard. <laughs> and, uh, okay, if you have any of those things enabled, it's an enterprise application object. <laughs> Even if you're a two man business, you're an enterprise application. Uh, when these settings are disabled, it is classified as a light application object. A light object. A light. Yeah. Are you enterprise or are you light? Are you a good witch <laughs> or a bad witch? I'm a good witch. Oh. So I want to be mad. <laughs> That's kind of creepy, John. <laughs> it won't come through. No one will hear me. That's right. This is all cut. You say anything you want. <laughs> Pink unicorns. Um, so Microsoft is, we talked about this in lunch, that they're doing this $40 billion buyback. 
stock buyback. Yeah. Which is, I, I, you know, you've seen a lot of these buybacks from companies that actually have cash and generate cash. And it's a trick to, to boost your, your stock price. Because if they're buying back, I don't know how many shares that is, but you back all the, buy back all those shares. So there's like, you know, millions of dollars or millions of shares uh, less outstanding. Mm-hmm. So your earnings are divided over fewer shares. So your EPS is, is always higher. <clears throat> and because of what a lot of companies do, I think, is they sell bonds. And because, you know, we're in this zero interest rate thing, which is, again, what has allowed Salesforce to play fast and loose with the, 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 their strategy and, and still have a decent stock price. But because it's zero interest rate for everything, uh, you can companies can sell bonds for, you know, one percent. So why not sell a bunch of bonds, take that money, and buy your stock back, and then your earnings go up. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I, I kind of looked it up because I'm like, ah, I feel like this is happening. And sure enough, there's like all these articles written about how this is this is happening. Um, Microsoft did the same thing back in 2013, and in fact, they're still not done. So I guess when a company announces a buyback. It takes them a while to actually. You don't. You don't want to buy all those, all the shares at once because you would. You would affect your stock price and everything. Suddenly, it would be, be a dramatic, you know, effect. So you do it over the course of time. Um, but yeah, what they wanted to buy back it represents like almost ten percent of Microsoft's market value of four hundred and forty-two billion dollars. Wow. Wow. That, um, that's a lot. <laughs> so Microsoft is always is also among the most active in buying back shares. They've spent. Uh, about $140 billion on buying back shares over their history. Wow. Yeah, so it's financial engineering. Here, here's some notes I took on this. Over the past 55 years, corporate incentives have changed to the point where corporations think first about how they can engineer higher stock prices and then later look for ways to invest that money to improve operating performance. Um, yeah, these, these kind of announcements seem to have become so important to stock performance that they are almost as vital to investors as earning reports are. Microsoft continues to perform exceptionally well as its return on shareholders' equity is about 31%, up from a bunch from previous years. Uh, but Microsoft uh, still qualifies as a company that possesses a sustainable competitive advantage. Anyway, there's a bunch of stuff on that. A lot of financial engineering. Hey, um, I, have, uh, <laughs> I have news. What, what kind of news? Maybe I'll do this I've again. I've got information, man. New shit has come to light. Do you, do you have like so many clips on the soundboard and you use like I, one or two? I know, but I need a, I need a, I need a new, like, you know, when a, a uh, the CNN or the Fox News, you know, when some news things like, you know, and then like, it's a, the new, the big news report. I need one of them. I don't have that. I'll find you one. I'll yeah, get you one. Maybe this. That's all I have. That's, that's as good as it gets. One of Salesforce's uh, directors of the board. <laughs> Has, the board. has bought some Salesforce stock. <laughs> what? We actually have someone buying Salesforce stock. Wait a minute. I thought to be on the board, you had to have a certain number amount of stock. I don't think so. No? I mean, it's it's weird not to own stock well, in a company you're on the board of. Yeah, I guess. But no, I'm just I'm just pointing out an example of someone either in management or on the board who, instead of selling Salesforce stock as fast as they can, they're actually buying some. She well, like a, maybe they're sitting there going, well, if Benioff doesn't want it, I'll take it. It was Susan. Keep selling it. Susan, I'll, I'll what's her name? Susan Wojcicki or Jiki, whatever her name is. That uh, She's the, the YouTube woman. Isn't she? Yeah, now I'm going to have to look her up. Isn't she the YouTube uh, Google person? YouTube woman? Yeah. <laughs> she's, oh, yeah. She's the CEO of YouTube. What is this? The 1960s? The this, YouTube woman. <laughs> Well, I knew she had something. I knew she ran YouTube 
either in the past or the present in some form or fashion. She is the CEO. She was at Dreamforce last last year. And she's on, you know, she was one of, she's like, oh, we got to get a woman on the board of directors of Salesforce, right? Because like, she marks out, okay, women, women, women. There's like no women in management, no women on the board. It's a bunch of white guys. And so she was there. I think she was their first woman on the board. And I think still the only one. They added a woman and they added a black dude in Colin Powell. Isn't he on the board? Yeah, he's on the board. That's what I thought. Uh, so yeah, so we have some uh, some Salesforce stock buying activity going on. <clears throat> what else? Do you, what else do you have, John? Uh, what, you're, what are you clicking around on over there? Well, I was you're trying on to, your own world again. I was trying to find my my next topic that I wanted to cover, and I can't find it. I don't know what it yeah, is because because you got to work today, and I spent this whole all this time putting together doing my doing my topics. <laughs> I, I get the I'm same news feed to, you do. No, but I. Okay. We could vamp and talk about uh, Apple Car. We don't have to vamp, man. We're already in an hour. This, this is totally okay for this to, for this to, <laughs> to end right now. Well, so, well, okay. So Apple what, said they, they are interested in buying McLaren. Yeah. And that news is kind of coming fast. Like someone someone somewhere is, is right next to these guys going, okay, they're doing this. Okay, they're doing this. They said this. They said this. Because in one moment, we got a, a, a notification saying, oh, Apple's... In, negoti- in negotiations to, to buy McLaren. And then another notification, maybe not even a minute later, said McLaren denies that there's any kind of discussion going on. Well, it's that, I think that kind of stuff happens when, there's, when it's not a done deal yet. But I, I figured out why Apple wants to buy McLaren. Because they want to sell cars. No, because they, they need a car to sell to all those people who bought the Apple Watch Edition. The Apple Watch Edition? Yeah, that's what it's called. Remember, the, it's the gold watch. Oh, those people need to buy an Apple. They want an Apple car, right? <laughs> <laughs> That'd be cool. And, and, and what do they call it, the iCar? No, they, they've gone away from that with the watch. This, really? It's not the iWatch yeah. like Apple, everyone expected. Apple car. That's too close to Apple cart. I'm expecting in October to get the MacBook Pro announcement release or even release. So. And when is what, that supposed to come? I don't know. Is, is it any rumors on when? It's got to be this fall, though, right? Everyone says October, but I don't know when on October. Wow. So I hope they announce something soon. And yeah. and the other rumor is that they're going to supposedly, possibly, safe harbor. <laughs> I don't. I don't think any other industry does this. Well, like makes fun of it this much. O- only in Salesforce has it become this nerdy, funny, yeah, thing that everyone you know has a blast. <laughs> walking around saying safe harbor when they don't even work for you don't have to say safe harbor especially if you don't work for salesforce folks okay it's not cute it's not cool it's not funny i, I do it to it's be annoying cute. i do it to be cute well you're doing it to ridicule which is fine aren't aren't, aren't cute when i say safe harbor well <laughs> oh well wow john that's so attractive if only we were periscoping <laughs> yeah i know <laughs> <laughs> all right what was i gonna say i don't know but what was i gonna say I don't know, something about the car safe harbor Oh no! I was talking about Apple. Okay, possibly new screens, new new monitors, new monitors. Yeah, that would be cool too. But my priority is definitely a new computer. This one is, I've had this for four years, which is probably a record for me. It's the thing is, it still works pretty well, but I'm just ready for a faster one. And um, I have this it, every once in a while. This thing, you know, this one freezes up, and that's just a problem. Yep. I'm glad we vamped because I remember what my topic was. Okay. More issues with Salesforce. Yeah. Um, you actually had one this week that I think we should talk about. Okay. And that was the um, unique constraint. 
Yeah. What the hell was that? This is. Were you able to replicate that, or at least uh, I log a case? To, no, I, I need to put together a, a really simple uh, test case and and create a case for that. So, should I explain what that was? Yeah. Okay. So, in a sandbox, I have a test class and a test method that inserts. I think it was a lead, uh-huh. and it provides a a value for a field, and this field is, has a unique constraint on it. Right. Okay. <clears throat> And it's just a regular test. There's no um, see all data true or anything like that. Test passes fine in sandbox when I deploy to production. And, the, and when the test runs in production, it fails because it, it says, hey, there's already a lead with this value for that, for that field that has a unique constraint. And it gives me an ID to a lead in production. Well, right. I thought if you don't have see all data, why is it even seeing that other lead? It shouldn't. I know. But I can't, this test won't pass because the value for this unique field. I'm providing clashes with an existing value in production, and I'm right. So, so, so say say it's a, a value of one. You create your unit test. It's it should be isolated from everything else, which right. means setting a value to one. There should be no other records in the database. You set it to one, it should go in. Mm-hmm. But what what you're seeing is that there's already a record in production that has the, that value of one. Right. And when the, your test goes to insert your its record of one, it's throwing back a, a a duplicate value. Yep, because the unique constraint is getting enforced. Yep, and and we've kind of seen things like this before with Salesforce with unit testing, like like with users. I, I think I brought that up when we were look looking this over. Is that once upon a time, whenever you went to create a user to specifically for to run your test in in a certain context with a certain profile or a certain whatever parameters that that user had to have. It would actually count against the user limit. Yeah, and if you were at your limit, it would your test fail. And if you're at your user and, limit, and while your test that, will while that sucks, and Salesforce should fix that, um, I understand why that's happening because when you run tests, you still have your users, right? Mm-hmm. Is that right? The users yes. don't get deleted out for tests. It's one of those like the setup objects or whatever. They right. they're still there. They still profiles, exist. users. Yeah. I think even groups, um, roles, those types of things are available in tests. So I understand those 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 users should be visible in the tests. So I understand I understand and it makes sense that if you add a user and which bumps you over your max user limit, I understand why you would get that error message. But you're not technically adding new users to the system. It shouldn't trigger well, you 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 are. You should it, be able to add a thousand users are. in a virtual mock unit test environment. Well, there's, but I'm, but there's they don't they don't have a they don't have a provision for allowing you to do that. There's you're still Subject to what, what if you write an app, or what if your business model is to write an application in Salesforce that lets you, allows you to, you know, create users a certain way, maybe provision users, and you need to bulk test your your system, and you write no, some really no. cool unit test that that goes out and makes sure that it can handle a thousand users creation, because that's the value you're providing. That's why people are going to pay you for this application, and you can't. No, you can't. This is one of those many things that you just you can't test and you got to live with. It's just a compromise. That, that brings me to to my issue that I had this week, which was. You know, I, I was using the cubal object method, and um, I was my screen was polling the job to see when it completed. And what gets queried back to me is an, is an async uh, Apex job object. Yeah. Well, I can't create an async Apex job in unit testing. I can't even set the fields on it. Right. I can't even try to I can't even try to instantiate that object and not insert it. So I, I ended up creating another class that basically bypassed the query during testing 
and allowed me to to send its new values, basically my own mocking system. Um, but however, that that class could only get covered eighty per, or eighty eight percent because at some point it did have to map the fields from that object yeah. to that class. So right. those were never going to get covered because it just doesn't return yep. it in a context. Or what, or I had the example a couple of weeks ago where I have a bunch of code that does stuff with history tracking records, and there's no way to get... For some reason, history tracking records don't get created as a part of the transaction that they're related to. Right. It's, it's, it's either asynchronous or something, but for some reason, you can't see them in tests. And so I have all this code that fails. Not only does it, yeah, so it, it actually fails. Or it fails or not, doesn't not get... Only, not only do you not get coverage for it. Right. It fails. And so now you have to have the really, really uh, bad hacks right. to avoid that code being run if it's in a test context. Yeah, and, and to me, code coverage is kind of synonymous synonymous with um, with validating your code, making sure it, it you get the expected results out of it. So whenever I see something that's like... 70% or even 75%, 77%, sure that passes, sure I can technically deploy that class because it's above the 75% mark, or it could even be 50. If the aggregate of everything is, is above 75, then that'll pass as well. Right. Um, but to me, that, that means that there's a scenario that I'm not accounting for in my test. Right. My code may or may not be, it's the, it's the, it's the Schrodinger's cat. It may or may not be dead in there. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I don't know because I haven't been able to go in and look at it right. and test it. Um, so, you know, for me, when I see that low coverage and it, I can't get, you know, I'm okay with 80% or 90% if I see that the only parts aren't covered are my global exceptions, the the unexpected stuff, you know, the, the traditional try-catch blocks Which on also, public you methods. Would, you would want to be able to test that stuff, but you can't you test would, those either. You would, but you can't. You can never put the and system in, fact, in an invalid in fact, state. The way that Salesforce, because it prevents you from throwing built-in exceptions... You end up with all, if you do, if you actually code well and you actually are handling exceptions properly, you end up with all these exception blocks that you can't test. Right. So what does that encourage you to do? Either to not, to not test it or, or well, if you get really nitpicky about it. It encourages you just to not deal with those exceptions in code. Well. <laughs> no, I'm telling you, it does. It does. It, it does. But if, if you get really nitpicky about it, you can modify your code for the sake of unit testing, which means you have lines of code in production that are only exist for unit testing. That's meaning, even worse. Meaning you have some flag that you set to, to force an error to happen so that it goes into your, to your try-catch block. And Ooh. so you can wow. technically make sure that your error handling is handling everything ex- correctly. And, and how do you test that there's no way that those will create errors in production? You don't. You don't. You don't. Yeah. So. It, it's just a fo- It's just a... A way to make yourself feel better because now you're manipulating the, the coverage numbers. Yeah, you better hope your solution doesn't create more problems but because yeah. there's no way to no, test. No, that's true. And even if it's working right now, that's not to say that you won't, you or some other developers who work on this later won't create some regression that causes that to... Or they look at that code and they're like, what the hell is this? And they delete yeah. it because it looks it looks. Why is this throwing so an wrong. error in here just because of a flag? Yeah, yeah it looks so wrong. It, it just makes, you know, of course, that's, that's a situation where you, you should comment that code, actually. Yeah. I'm, you know, you know my... I think I think code comments have their place, but uh, they they should only they should only be for what the code can't tell you, right? If you can't express it, and if it's something that can't be expressed in the your your naming your names your class names your method names, uh, then yeah, add a comment in there. But all you know, always I, I see all the time like comments where I'm like, oh, that should be a new method. That should just be a new method. Like every all these comments, like basically, should just be either new methods or some property or something that that um, semantically like. Right. says what it does. And then you end up with code that reads almost like English. Yeah. Again, if your project manager could look at your code and say, hey, I think I see, I can tell what that does. You probably read some good code. Yeah. 
and, and I think we talked about this before. That's kind of how I write my code. I, I start with big methods, big classes, but I'm commenting as I go. You know, I, you know, I kind of title. So you don't do TDD, obviously. No, I don't. I don't but I, well, title, I title what that next block of code is going to do, and then I go back through and refactor it, and I go, okay, this can be moved out into its yeah. own function, and then it starts to, to move out and read. Some of those comments end up staying in there, so you'll see a lot of commenting in my code. But well, make sure you remove. You should remove comments if they're if they can't be if it's something that you can't tell from the code because that comment becomes a liability. If you later change the code, well, you forget to update your comment. We all, we've all forgotten update comments. Yeah, right? I know. It it's, it's not necessarily a comment. It's more like a title that says, you know, it's it's going to do this or it's going to do that. And I understand what you're saying, but the, sometimes the comments it's like that says here are the properties. Here are the fields. No, okay, it's not those kind of. Well, no, I'm just saying. I, like, well, I do do that. I know you do that. I wasn't gonna. I wasn't gonna say you did but that. Ma- but you do do that. But I do that for a reason because I organize my code in a way that that properties are always in a certain section, public methods and static methods are always in a certain section. My private methods always are in a certain section. As you and should. my internal classes. As you should. I, there's, there's no need for comments. The no, comments it, are extra noise. It is noise. because then I know where I can start my private methods. So I start adding private methods to that, and I keep track the, of it. <laughs> the private methods go right under the public methods. That's it's very easy no, to see. No, no, is it no, not? No. <laughs> it's just easier to see to scroll down and go. Okay, here's where my private method starts, so I can add one here at the top if I want, or I can add one at the bottom of it, or I can do whatever. It's much easier to see a comment and go private, see private methods, or see properties, or see protected methods, or protected members, or whatever they're called. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Yeah. Plus, a lot of that comes from my VB days, where I had to organize code a certain way because that's how the compiler got optimized. It was like compilers back then. You you had to optimize for the compiler back then versus today where the compiler does a bunch of optimizing for you. Yeah. So well, back then you had to make sure, you know, your variables were at the top if they were, you know, at the top for scope reasons and all that kind of stuff. Or or even, I used to even group my, in the VB days, I used to group my, uh, I don't remember why I did this. I think I read something that said that's how you optimize it was um, memory optimization. So you grouped your, like, yeah. your strings, you grouped your objects, like yep. your objects were at the very bottom because, you know, that their memory was, their memories were gonna, was going to get scattered. Okay. Um, so you had to group things so that, you know, I don't know, for optimization reasons. Well, I think, uh, you know, in a in a world where you have one namespace that all your classes must live in, therefore your classes... Oh, oh hang on. In a world. <laughs> and, and your classes are just going to be longer. You're going to have longer classes because you don't want to create... You want to be very conservative on your creation of new classes. Yeah. Lest you end up with, you know, 1,500 classes... And you can't find anything. Yeah, but right. Late, so you're going to end up with longer yeah. um, in cells in Apex. You end up with longer classes anyway that violate the single responsibility principle. And you know what? What better way, or what worse way, I should say, to turn a 200 line class into a 300 line class than a bunch of comments that are completely unnecessary? Well, but yeah, they're they're not unnecessary necessary for me because I I like the readability of them. However, I will say that I have started saying kind of screw you to the. The idea of not creating so many classes in the namespace, and I've just been I've been doing it. I've been splitting things out into so many classes. It's just so much easier to read. It's so much easier to maintain. Test to test too. I know, I know. So you, you are going more classes. Now. I am going more classes. Um, I, I traditionally a new, a I've been, new org or an org that already has thousands of classes. New orgs, new orgs, where I'm the first person to write code. I'm start I'm starting to create a lot more classes. I mean, it could be a simple trigger function, and I'll have like four or five classes for it. Just depending on the complexity of the logic, I will right. have a lot of different things. Me too. Well, like this whole async job thing, I created a whole new class just to manage the the status result of which which normally would just be a query. What's the status of this job? Oh, it's done. Okay, that would just that's all it would be. But since I had to to encapsulate that into a whole new object that I could manipulate so that I can get scenario coverage or coverage around different scenarios, 
Um, I had to create a whole new class for it. Yeah. I could have done internal, but I decided, no, I'm going to make this own class. It's got enough things going on. I just wanted to isolate it. Also keep, you know, nested classes in mind. Yeah. Um, the downside of nested classes in Apex, though, is they can't have statics, which is super annoying. It's like, oh, you're killing me. I try in my head to, to keep internal or nested classes. I always say internal classes, but nested classes, um, purely as data structures, meaning it's just properties. That's usually how I use them as well, yeah. But or, on occasion... Or, or maybe something with one method. Like yeah, a, on occasion, they'll start to grow methods. And if they get big enough, I'm like, I have to move that out because it's getting too big. Like if I have some class that I need to have a custom iterator for that class, like I'll have one, I'll have a nested class that implements iterable of that. And it's I got one method. Uh, doesn't iterable suck though? Because you can only use it in a, in a what is it, a while loop or for loop or something like that? Or yeah, you, you, can't, you can't do for each basically on an iterable class. What? Yeah. When you use the when you implement the iterable interface, that's what the point of it is, isn't it? I, th- one of the I thought it didn't. It would. I thought uh, it wasn't to, available. To double check that. I'm pretty sure because I looked at that recently because I was doing something where I had to iterate over. I basically created like I have like a detail object and then I had I had a top level collection class, and I wanted to implement an iterable for it, but I wanted to still use my for each. I'm going to assume you're wrong because if Apex is a language that its iterator interface doesn't actually work with the main construct for iteration, then that, that's a new low for Apex. <laughs> well, hold on, hold on. We, we Custom iterators. Let's see. <laughs> let's see, let's this see, is, let's this see. Is, uh, this, is ex- this is why our, our numbers are grow so rapidly. It's, this is like some exciting, <laughs> this is an exciting podcast material. I bet everyone's you know, holding onto their seats. They're riveted. <laughs> yeah, an iterate traverses through every item in a collection, for example, in a while loop. Um, well, so while it's up to you to do the iterate the iterating though, what about a for loop which handles iteration for you? It keeps saying while loops. Oh, this will have to be follow up. It'll it'll have to be follow up because I thought I read on a custom when I implemented the iterable interface. Iterator. No, there's iterator and there's iterable. There. Maybe that's what it was. Anyway, okay. <clears throat> Either way, I at least when when I went to do it because I was like I shouldn't I shouldn't have to create an internal list class that I have to go my top level collection dot items to access the actual data collection. I wanted it to be top level, basically inheriting the features of a list object. Um, but I for some reason ruled it out because I thought I saw that I could only do a a while loop, not a for each loop. That would be a bummer. So I hope I'll look at that or someone can tell me once you listen to this podcast, just blow it on the Slack channel. All right. I think, I don't think they can handle anymore, Don. This is just too much excitement. (laughs) Well, and to that, I say good day, sir. You get nothing. You lose. Good day, sir. Take a drink and you'll sink. To a state of pure inebriation You'll be tanked like the whole Irish nation When you drink enough of my beer You will find this magic rule Make your every joke a jewel You'll drive drunker than 
Oksana Bayul Go on, buds Drink my suds Till you've reached That pure inebriation Though the beer May be free You're just Renting it From me It's like I died and went to heaven. But, but then they realized that it wasn't my time, and so they sent me back to a brewery. <laughs> <laughs>